Our text this morning comes from Amos chapter 3, the verses 1 through 8. title in this Bible is Israel's Guilt and Punishment. Amos 3, starting at verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Following the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 43, stanzas 3 and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, with Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we confess, whatever happens to us in this life comes to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. Likewise, we confess in Article 13 of the Belgian Confession, God so rules and governs all things in this world and in a similar way in our personal lives that nothing happens without his divine direction. The prophet Amos says the same when on behalf of the Lord he puts this rhetorical question to God's people, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Many people struggle with this question and at times we do as well. No, there is no doubt in our minds that all that is happening at present is from God's hand. It is God's hand ruling COVID-19. It is God's hand that ruled the outcome of the American election with all the turmoil around it. No one would have any difficulty confessing this. We all believe it. Yet, what do we do with this knowledge? It comforts, but at the same time, anxiety still can get a hold of us. What does the future hold? How long will these restrictions and all that that is involved last? Jobs, income, the economic outlook, church services still with some restrictions. Will it ever go back to normal? We can meet every Sunday and are allowed to sing, yet there are those who cannot meet. In a case they are allowed to meet, singing is not permitted. When taking all of this in and thinking about it, who would not struggle at times? As such, there is nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong as long as we keep seeing God's hand in all of this. And also, even more importantly, that throughout all these trials, we may grow closer to God and so find that inward peace only God can give. Inner peace amid all the unrest and anxiety we see around us. Beloved, pray to God that he will grant you this peace, this rest, 
Above all, pray daily that amid these trying times, God may help us live our faith, to live our faith in bringing glory to God, who is in total control of all that is happening at present, not only in Canada, but also worldwide. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Has not the Lord done it? Let us go to, this pa- go to the passage of Scripture chosen for this morning service to see what the Lord wants to teach us. Not only to receive comfort, but also, even more importantly, to see how the Lord is busy in all things to bring us closer to him. So let us turn to Amos 3. In the previous two chapters, Amos had spoken about God's judgment not only upon the Gentile nations surrounding Israel and Judah, but also about God's judgment upon his chosen nation, his own children. On behalf of the Lord, Amos rings the alarm. Yet the people don't want to hear this. Life is good. Materially, they are well off. So what is there to be afraid of? God's people had become hard at hearing. For this reason, Amos wants to shake God's people awake so that they no longer close their eyes to what is going on. On behalf of the Lord, Amos blows the trumpet. The summary of the message of the text is as follows. Amos urges God's people to see God at work in all that is happening. For does disaster come unless the Lord has done it? For when the Lord does something, does he not reveal it beforehand? And finally, for when we shelter with him, we will be safe. Amos, brothers and sisters, did not have such a good name among God's people living in the northern kingdom. And somehow, one can understand this. The man only spoke about judgment. Of course, the people did not mind when it concerned God's judgment upon the heathen nations. But when it was proclaimed with the same ruthlessness, even to God's own people, it did not go down so well. How could Amos say all this? After all, had God himself not chosen Israel out of all the families of the earth? Therefore, how could God now suddenly be against them? Somehow, this seemed wrong. However, beloved, listen to how Amos responds to these complaints. You are right, he says, on behalf of the Lord in verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You are my precious people, the apple of my eye. However, it is precisely for this reason that I am going to punish you for all your iniquities, Just because I love you so much, your sin hurts me, and therefore I can no longer tolerate them. From this we learn, brothers and sisters, being elected by God, being covenant children, should never cause us to become proud. Being blessed by God should never cause us to think that we are better than others. Instead, it should make us humble. Lord, despite the many sins that that are also in my life, Who am I that you will still regard me as a child of yours? Lord, this is totally undeserved. Beloved, that is the attitude God wants from us. We too can only plead with God's mercy. How otherwise could we come in the presence of holy God? Because of our sins, we do not deserve anything. Yet in Amos' day, this attitude was utterly lacking among God's people. While the poor had hardly anything to eat, The rich bathed themselves in wealth. Also, people served God in a way that suited them. But meanwhile, it was contrary to what God had commanded. It was a self-willed, 
serving of the Lord, as we see it also today among many who still call themselves Christians. A serving of the Lord where God no longer stands in the center, but man instead. In serving God this way, the question no longer is, what does the Lord require of me? But instead, sensual becomes more and more, how does the serving of the Lord make me happy? Hence, by way of example, we have to find we have to find a more man-friendly liturgy in the church. No longer do these dry traditional worship services we are used to, but happier, more welcoming. However, it is all directed at the feeling of man. Instead of God, it all, all has to serve man, serving man's personal feelings. It must feel good. It was because of this, beloved, that in Amos's day, God's people had become almost immune to the faithful preaching of God's word, even resistant to all that Amos had to say to them on behalf of the Lord. That is why he addresses God's people of old in a similar way as the Lord Jesus once spoke to the crowds about the law of cause and result. And now think of what we read in Luke 12, verse 54 and following. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say it once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Likewise, in our text, by putting some rhetorical questions, Amos wants God's people to open their eyes to see God's hand in all that was happening, both around them as well as in their personal life. In verse 3, he says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Indeed, if you walk together on a planned route, it must be by appointment. Likewise, when the lion roars, the cause must be that there is prey to seize. And so the argument goes on with the questions posed so as to demand an answer. Verse 5, does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Repeatedly, the answer to these rhetorical questions is, of course not. Verse 6, it's unthinkable that when the trumpet is blown, people would not react. Well, so Amos says, likewise, at the end of verse 6, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? However, as far as this last instance is, so, is concerned, so Amos is implicitly saying here, as far as this last instance is concerned, you don't seem to understand. When the trumpet is blown, no one carries on with his regular duties. You don't keep feasting as if you didn't hear anything. Instead, you'll take action. That's how it was in those days. The blow of the trumpet meant the city is in danger. Everyone knew this, and everyone would take action accordingly. Yet, now the Lord is blowing the trumpet, and people don't want to listen. They carry on with their life as if there is nothing to be feared. Do you not understand, O Israelites, all that you see that is happening around you? The rumbling of the thunder? It does not occur just by chance. You who, in other instances, have no difficulties in drawing conclusions from what you see around you, in this case, you seem blind as a bat. See, beloved, that's the context of the text chosen for this morning sermon. The meaning of that question, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Also today, many people have difficulty acknowledging God's hand in all the misery we are confronted with. About a year ago, COVID had just started, 
and I had read about a principal of an Anglican school who had written a letter to all the parents to say that we should not forget that God's hand is in all of what we experience at this moment. By the worldly press, this was mocked at straight away. You're not allowed to say that, let alone that in this same context, you would speak about God's judgment upon the sins of a nation. Even many modern Christians have difficulty with this, and so they start looking at other things, also blaming the government that they have not acted rightly or not quickly enough, joining in with everyone else's complaints that you hear around us. Beloved, let us be careful that we live our faith to the glory of God's name. Also now, live our faith even by what we put on Facebook or other social media. Ask whether you are correct in what you're posting. Ask whether it is God-honoring also in this time of pandemic. So how should we act and respond to all the unrest and hype that we see around us? Some might say one should acknowledge God's hand in the hurt and the pain we suffer, accepting it without murmuring, believing, even though this is beyond our comprehension that God works in everything for good for those who love him, full stop. Isn't that what scriptures teaches? In other words, we must learn to say, thy will be done, no questions. In faith, we must learn to carry whatever God places on our path and ask for daily strength, full stop, no grumbling. Live your faith. This sounds very scriptural. Yet, beloved, I wonder whether this is actually what scripture teaches. Simple acceptance, no more. Is that, what really, is that really what God wants? Think of what's going on. Restrictions and lockdowns and curfews. Parents and grandparents no longer able to visit their children or their grandchildren. Husbands and wives no longer allowed to see their loved ones in a nursing home. Funerals with only 10 people permitted to attend. Would that not hurt? Would that not make one cry? Would not struggle... Who would not struggle with all the emotions involved? Is that wrong? All of this hurts. We struggle. Is that wrong? Must we say without any inward struggle, Lord, thy will be done, full stop? The Lord Jesus himself cried at Lazarus' tomb. Why? It is our Savior's reaction to the destructive power of sin and death and its effect on life. It caused him to cry. That is why the Lord Jesus struggled so much, also in the Garden of Gethsemane. In his eyes, death was evil, and he did not merely acquiesce. So what then should our reaction be? That is not always easy to say. For a start, we should hold on to what we confess in Article 13 of the Belgic Confession, namely that the Lord is in control. Yet Article 13 also states, God is not the author of sin. Instead, God uses the hurt and pain even, which even his own children suffer. God uses all of this to bring his purpose about. Believing this, we must open our eyes to see God at work, to see God at work in all that is happening in the past and at, and at present. We do not always have the answers for the why of all this. However, this is not needed either. As long as we can acknowledge that God is busy in all things, busy also with us personally. See, beloved, it was this eye of faith that was lacking in Amos's day. I may refer here to what was, we read in chapter 4. The Lord gave bread, verse 6, 
He withheld rain, verse 7. He blasted with blight and mildew. Blight, a scorching eastern wind. Mildew, a product of parasitic worms. These were all calamities through which the Lord ringed the alarm with the aim that his people would turn back to him. And yet, repeatedly, the refrain is, Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. In these words, we hear the hurt of a loving God, a loving Father. So many signs through which I wanted to teach you, trying to win you back, yet you did not understand. You just carried on with your life as if nothing had happened. You explained it merely as the course of nature, not acknowledging my hand in all of this. Yet, if there is a disaster in the city, has not the Lord done it? This is the context of the words chosen as text for this morning's sermon. The Lord says to his children, Open your eyes to see my hand and repent from your evil. Turn back to me. If you know the answers to all the previous rhetorical questions so well, why not the answer to this last question? When the branch of the fig tree becomes tender, you know summer is near. When you see the clouds in the sky, you know rain is coming. Why then, when calamities occur, you ignore it and act dumb? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Does this now mean, beloved, whenever these things occur, God will teach his people a lesson? In a certain way, the answer to this question is yes. Through calamities, pain, and hurt, God is always busy with us. Yet, we, will ha- we have to be careful with our reasoning. For example, when a person becomes seriously ill or gets into an accident, is this because of his or her sins? That is what the friends of Job thought. And that is what they, all- they also told him. Admit your guilt now that all this is happening to you. Beloved, we should be cautious with comments like these. In general, it is always a pitfall when we try to find out for someone else why certain things happen to him or her. We better keep silent, asking ourselves what the Lord wants to teach me personally through it, also in what is happening in the lives of others. It is not true that there is always a direct relation between sorrow, illness, disappointment, and the sin from which one has to repent. The Lord can also be busy with us in other ways. The main thing is, is that we see God at work, being busy with us in one way or another. Thus, entrusting ourselves to God, we will find peace and rest, also amid the pandemic of the coronavirus. When life goes through deep valleys, it might take time to find this peace with God. Consider the whole book of Job and the struggles he goes through, almost wrestling with God as well as Jacob did at Peniel. Why? It's only at the end of the book that God reveals to Job who he is. And then Job feels so small. Lord, who am I to ask questions of the Almighty One, who has created the whole universe, every star counted by thee, every heartbeat, every breath of everybody is a gift of God's grace. Who am I to ask God, why does this happen, that I don't deserve this? It might take time to come to such a confession, Yet the Lord allows for that. We do not have to come ready with these things overnight. At times we struggle, like many an author of the psalm struggled. Yet in faith we keep clinging to God, who is near also in these struggles. When clinging to him, he will keep us in his care and help us persevere. What a great comfort this is.
come to our second point. On behalf of the Lord, Amos admonishes God's people that it always knows how to draw conclusions, yet not when God strikes with calamities. Yet, beloved, with regards to these calamities, there is even less reason not to know what they meant, since verse, in verse 7, for the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. This makes the question at the end of verse 6 even more pointed. God's people in Amos's day did not want to hear about judgment. Hence, Amos should stop prophesying. They did not want to listen to him. However, the end would be that God himself would take his word away from them. We read about this in chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Thus the great privilege as God's Thus the great privilege of God's people to have the compass of God's word is put at risk here. Amos underlines this in chapter 3, verse 8. The lion has roared, who will not fear? Therefore, O Israelites, listen. Acknowledge God's grace that he is still speaking to you, warning you. For the Lord does nothing unless he reveals it beforehand. Beloved God indeed always forewarns his people of what is coming. Scripture makes this quite clear. In paradise, God warned Adam and Eve of the consequences in case they would eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yet they did not listen. God forewarned that he would strike the earth with a flood unless the Lord repented, unless the people repented, yet they did not listen. This is indeed a recurring theme in scripture. God sent out prophets to call his people to repentance, having the salvation of his people at heart. Also in Amos' day, he forewarned them Unless you repent, exile is imminent. Yet God's people did not want to listen. Well, beloved, that is how also today God's word goes out into this world and goes out also to us. We have the compass of God's word. For us, we must use this compass. In this context, I will, I'd like to draw your attention to a close parallel between Amos 3, verse 7, and Revelation 1, verse 1. In Amos 3, 7, we read, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. In Revelation 1.1, we read, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. In Amos's day, the Lord called his people to open their eyes to his hand in history, pointing to what was happening in the world around them. You can read more about this in the judgment prophecies of Amos chapter 2. Likewise, the Lord has made known to his New Testament church what will take place. God revealed it to John who passed it on to the churches and through scripture it is passed on to us also today. From the last book of the Bible in particular, we know that God is at work in wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and other calamities like the current pandemic and with all the economic consequences involved. We too have been forewarned so that nothing strange would happen to us. Thus, we should also always follow the news that we are confronted with daily with the Bible open. That is our compass. In his love, the Lord has made known to what, what to expect in the last days. Open your Bible. Read in particular the book of Revelation. God has made it crystal clear what will happen when this 
seals of the scroll will be opened. There are no surprises. We have the light of God's word as a lamp to our feet and a light on our path to clear, to clear the darkness of the world we live in. The Apostle Peter writes in his second letter, in chapter 1, verse 19, we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. For us, it is now, it is now to rejoice in this light. Only then will we find safety, real safety and peace. With the compass of scripture, we will see God at work in all that is happening in the world, in all that is happening also in the church, as well as in our personal life. Using this compass, we will learn that we will meet difficulties, hardship, sorrow, pain, and hurt due to the consequences of sin. Life is broken, and this causes tears, hardship, and struggles, even in the lives of sincere children of God. One only has to read the book of Psalms, which shows us how children of God struggled in faith. At times they felt as if God had forsaken them. We should not say that was a lack of faith. Instead, it portrays the struggle of faith and how in those struggles the Lord is near. Our tears are precious in God's eyes. We do not have to hide them. Once I read, pray to God that he will turn your tears into rainbows, meaning that when amid the tears you cling to God's promises, then you will stand firm. And then through these tears... You see the sun of God's grace, which causes these tears to become rainbows. Pray to God that he will turn your tears into rainbows. God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But also to see a nice rainbow, you need some dark clouds. I summarize the message of this morning's text as follows. Amos urges God's people to see God at work in all that is happening. Beloved, do we see God's hand? Do we see that God is busy with us as a congregation, busy with us, also with us personally? Let us pray daily that the Lord may open our eyes that we may see it. See not in the first place what others are doing wrong. Do not look first at others. Generally, we are very good at this. Instead, let us start by examining ourselves. Look first at yourself. What does it tell me that we go through this pandemic? We follow the news. Yet how? As always, also now, we should do so with our Bibles open. Then we will learn that also concerning this coronavirus, God has told us beforehand, Revelation 6-7, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of a, the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence. Revealed beforehand. And now it does happen, as it has happened in the past. Think of the bubonic plague, also called Black Death in the 14th century, that killed 200 million people in Europe and the Near East. Think of the Spanish flu 100 years ago, 1918, and the following years, which killed 50 million people worldwide. God was calling people to repentance, urging people to come to him, to find true peace and rest. Well, likewise, God is active today, not active not only with us, with this world, and with people who have turned their backs upon God. God is also busy with us. Therefore, beloved, the question this morning is, as God, as God is busy with us, 
What is our response to it? Can you say what is happening at the moment is bringing you closer to God? Maybe serving God needs a greater priority in your, in your life. Perhaps you need to learn again what it means to put your trust in God alone and let go of all anxiety. Probably for all of us, it means that we should live our faith more clearly. We are all very good at explaining our doctrine, also concerning God's providence, but to live it? Just to let go solely in childlike faith, living out of the Father's hand, and so have peace, rest, and then also radi radiating this to everyone who crosses our path. How often do we speak about the Lord when we are talking about COVID-19? We like to stay up to date with the news. How many cases today in Edmonton, in Alberta, in Canada? Up to date with border restrictions and lockdowns. Yet at times it might also be good to turn off the news, making time to meditate, quiet time in the inner room as Christ spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount, quiet time, busy with God's word and in prayer, not just a quick prayer, but making time for it. That brings peace, true inward peace. Let us be busy this way also as a family. Remember, all this unrest and anxiety can so quickly affect also our children, especially their mental health. Try to give them rest and peace by pointing them to the gospel, which tells us that our Father is in control, and he will provide whatever the future may hold. May we shelter with him. I realize an attitude like this does not end all struggles that we face. Yet the comfort we have is that in these struggles we may cling to God. It is his fatherly hand that leads us also through the valleys of life. There we may find our strength in this often so broken life. There is not one step in life we do not have. Excuse me. There is not one step in life we have to do without the Lord. That knowledge will guide us and give us the strength to cope, no matter what lay ahead. Yes, when in the valley struggling in faith, remember the words of the author of Psalm 42 and 43. My soul, why are you sad and grieving? Why so oppressed with anxious care? Hope yet in God, his word believing, for light and joy from him receiving. I'll praise him again and laud, my Savior and my God. What a beautiful comfort this is, beloved. God is with us. He will lead us. It is his hand that rules this world, rules also our personal lives. Father's hand, and to that hand we may cling. Then we are safe, safe always sheltering with Father. I'm reminded of the hymn Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far. It was grace, and it is grace that will bring us safely home. Amazing grace. Amen.